The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 13 through 21. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we, we ask now that you would be with us. We're talking about a personal thing today. We're talking about um, an issue that you spoke about quite a bit because I think you know the number it can do on our heart and our lives. So give us grace right now as we lean into speaking about our relationship to money over these next few weeks, that we might always root it and your generosity towards us in the person and work of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. As many of you know, in a former life, I was a campus minister. I worked with college students at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville from 1990 to 1996. And whenever I think about money and it's not being a neutral thing, but a powerful thing, I think about this one conversation I had with this one student who told me that in his growing up years, he had this time with his dad before his dad made it, and then after his dad made it. And he said to me, for example, before my dad made it, we had these two big five-gallon bucket, uh, buckets, plastic buckets that were used for paint at one point, filled with old beat-up, grungy golf balls, and we'd go to some vacant lot, and we'd just hack away for an hour, and it was so great. And he said, then my dad made it. And he joined a country club where they stacked the balls up in a perfect pyramid on the driving range. <laughs> it was never the same with my dad after that. Now, the point is not to be critical of golf balls built in a pyramid. That's actually amazing that somebody can do that. Or country clubs. I'm not here to, to rail on those things. But I just want to say money, and you know this. In fact, everything I'm going to tell you today, you kind of know. That's good counseling and good preaching, often. But money is not neutral. Money is not neutral. Money does things to us. Money impacts us. It tempts us. It, it, it drives us. It pushes us. Sometimes very subtle. In fact, I would say most of the time in ways we don't even really recognize that it's happening. It has power to do good, power to do evil. But it's not just sitting there, right? 
Like somebody asks me, is money good or bad? I'll say, well, it's like asking if fire is good or bad. You know, fire in the fireplace is good. Fire on the curtains going up the side of the living room, not so good. And so we have to work at talking about this in ways that are redemptive and beautiful and good. Now, if you think this sermon is just all about you giving to City Church, you would be right. But that's not the only thing, all right? That's not the only thing. It's not the major point because there's a reason Jesus talked, and I've already talked about it, so much about money and possessions. One out of every 10 verses in the gospel is about money and possessions. The Bible has 500 verses on faith, 500 on prayer, 2,000 on money and possessions because it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And Jesus is interested in talking about the things that are really powerful in your life so that they don't dehumanize you, but actually lead to you and the world's flourishing. And that's what money can be, a tool that helps the world flourish. So here we are at the end of our fiscal year, August 31st, and we're talking about money. We gather each week. I lay the gas on the good news that God loves you, welcomes you, has never been separated from you, invites you to awaken to that reality. And today is an application in many ways of that good news. In other words, if the gospel is true, if the good news that we celebrate is really that good, then how do we apply it to money? Something so powerful in our lives. How do we think about it? Because nobody is exempted from being infected from the love of money. doesn't matter how much you have. I mean, this is an easy point to make, but if you're not into golf, don't just disregard. But there's an entire thing that I think is fascinating that's happening right now in the world of golf. If you have no interest in golf, there is a lesson here. Pay attention, I hope. But you have this thing called the PGA Tour, and then you have this new tour that's backed by Saudi Arabia. And many see it as a way of kind of scrubbing up their reputation of being a mass murdering regime, which they are. And you have people who are multi, 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 multi-millionaires kind of selling their soul to have multi, 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 multi more millions than they have right now. And everybody is talking about it. And I find it fascinating because to me it's another example of how money is not neutral. It drives us to make decisions often that I think later in life you may have a hard time living with. So let's just don't pick on the golfers. Let's pick on all of us. We all do this to some degree. So it's not neutral. We have to be, we have to be careful with money. Usually when I speak with somebody in my pastoral care practice that's in deep trouble, has made horrible decisions, usually, not always, usually three things happen. Anonymity, a lot of money, and anxiety. <laughs> you just think about that. Think about your own life. Has that not maybe for you been when you've made your worst decisions? Anonymity, lots of money, anxiety. You may be young right now and you haven't, you know, you haven't made the kind of money you hope you make one day. But I just want you to know, nobody who's younger says, you know, at 45 or 50, I hope to have enough money, I'm going to fund a number of really great addictions in my life. 
But if you accumulate enough money and stuff, I'm going to tell you that those kinds of inroads into your soul will begin to happen. And so I'm telling you now, like Jesus does. Okay, this is so fascinating. When Jesus talks about money, you know what he says? He says things like, watch out. (laughs) That's fascinating to me. He doesn't say, watch out for adultery. It's going to sneak up on you. Watch out for robbing that bank. (laughs) It's watch out for greed. Watch out for the love of money. It's so sneaky. It can do such a number on us. And so all I want you to get today is a couple of big ideas. A couple of big ideas. I've already mentioned one of them. And that is that money is a gift of God. It's not to be a measure of your self-worth. Not to be a measure of your self-worth. So, big idea number one, after all that introduction, and the three points go quick, so nobody panic. The first is, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. If our money is not ours, it is a gift from God. What does that mean? Jesus begins to tell this parable. He says, the man summons his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And trust, so everything we have is a gift from God. And if somebody right now says, really, you know how hard I've been working? Do you know the kind of obstacles I've had to overcome? Do you realize we live in a culture where maybe it's set up for someone like you to succeed, but not necessarily for someone like me to succeed? Absolutely, I get that. I don't get it to the degree you get it. But I understand that. But at the end of the day, where did you get the whatever it is for you to do what you're doing? What did you get the health? Why weren't you born in a setting that's, that just never allows you any kind of opportunity to anything? I mean, there's a certain sense of which at the end of the day, I think we can trace everything we have at some point back to, our, back to a gift from God that what we have every breath we draw. Now, if that's true, if that's true, if every breath is a gift from God, if we trace everything we have back to God, we have to ask the question, why me? Why do I have this? Why do these resources sit in my bank account? Is there a purpose for this money greater than increasing my comfort and accumulating stuff? So that's big idea number one. It all belongs to God. Secondly, if the money is not ours, what do we do with it? If it is a gift from God, what do I do with it? We began to see ourselves as trustees and stewards. That's a, you know, it's a word, it's a kind of an old-fashioned church word, stewardship, but it's actually really accurate, I think, from a, a historically Christian and biblical perspective, that what we have is a gift from God, and we're called to be stewards of it, almost partners with God, we might say, in renewing the world with the resources that we have. To be stewards, to be trustees. I mean, think about what that means. When you, when you, when you, if somebody came to you and said, I'm going to give you access to my large estate, my whole portfolio, and you're going to be my trustee. And what, what I want you to do with it is I want you to invest it in the following ways. And then there's the bullet point of ways. And you said, okay, great, I'll take that portfolio. And then you take all that money and you go buy a house at Pebble Beach. This out overlooks the water. And it's, what would they call you? Would they call you miserly <laughs> or greedy? No, you know what they'd call you? A thief. That's what they'd call you. 
You get thrown in jail for doing that kind of thing. And this is why in some places, and it's a little bit triggering maybe if you grew up in this and you had so many guilt trips about this kind of thing, and I hope you're not feeling that today. But there's a place in the book of Malachi, the oldest, or not the oldest, but the last book of the um, Hebrew Scriptures. And it actually says that when we don't give away our possessions and money, we're actually, to those in need, we're actually robbing God. It's strong medicine. But it's part of, is if this actually belongs to God in the first place, if we're called to be stewards and trustees, then we are responsible to invest this money into those things that God takes great joy in. Into the things that God directs us in. Now, I've told this story before, so if you've heard it before, then, then uh, hear it again. Uh, but years and years ago, I mean like my third or fourth year here, I was invited, which would have been in 1990, 90, or 1999, uh, 2000, somewhere in that area, I was asked to sit on a panel at the Commonwealth Club on homelessness. So yes, we've always been talking about this in San Francisco, if you're new here and wondering. And on this panel was, I was the kind of the religious person, right? Um, and then we had, you know, Gavin Newsom was on the panel, and he was a supervisor at the time, running for mayor. And did he get an earful from me in the back? Woo, that was fun. Um, and then there was a, a, a policy person from Boston and a, and a, a, a police lieutenant from uh, 6th Admission area of our city. And they were all talking. And I didn't say a word because I just was, first of all, scared to death. And I knew if I opened my mouth, I'd probably look kind of stupid in front of these people. That's how I felt about myself at that time. But then suddenly out of the blue, they're like, Pastor, what do you have to say? Yeah. It's like, I missed this class in seminary. I don't remember being trained for this moment. So I just simply said, you know, here's the problem. There's enough money in this city to address this issue effectively. The fact is, we don't want to let it go. We'd rather use this city as our personal playground than invest in it so that everyone can thrive. Pretty good off the spur of the moment, right? I was proud of myself. Thank you. That was a rare occasion when I actually, on the moment, could think of something. But uh, I remember Gavin Newsom leaned into the microphone and said, I'm done talking after what the pastor just said. And then I invited all of them to City Church, of course, um, because that's what you do when you're me. It's our moment, I think, friends, to see ourselves right now as trustees and stewards to invest in our city, to give of ourselves, to see it thrive. And I would say unabashedly to invest in this church and the unique witness it is to what God is doing in this world and in this city. Over 25 plus years of investing in this city has produced enormous results of life change, healing, and restoration through this church. And so I'm asking you, will you, and I'm talking to those of you who are joining us online as well, will you invest to see what God might do through us in the next 25 years? This is a poignant moment in the life of this church, a real inflection point. I know you all sense that. We have a new senior pastor coming on board. I'm moving to this other role as founding pastor. It's a new chapter going forward. New ideas, new thoughts, new creativity are going to be infused into the life of this church. And I am thrilled and can't wait to see it happen. And I'm asking you, invest in it. This is the time. If you've been thinking about giving and you haven't done so yet, this is a perfect time to jump in.
Maybe you've been trying us on for a month or two or five months or eight months or whatever, and you are able to give a little. We ask you to jump in. This is that kind of moment to see what God might do through us in the next 25 years. Let's make sure that set up Emily McGinley, our next senior pastor, so well that she's free to exercise his significant, her significant gifts in the leadership of this church. I'm excited. So big idea number one, it all belongs to God. Big idea number two, we're responsible to, God's, to be God's trustees, so we have to invest. And then last question, how do we enjoy our money? I bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? Because what you may have grown up with is this money is evil, money is bad, money is you know, better to be poor, or godliness is next to being absolutely poor, and, and all those kinds of messages. And they're all just ways of kind of shaping behavior modification, but I don't think they actually transform our lives. So how do we enjoy it? Jesus actually uses the word joy when he talks about money. He says, Master, you've handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Which is why I say often on Sundays, for those of you who have not yet entered into the joy of giving, we invite you. That's just not just a nice turn of phrase to ask you in some way that doesn't seem too threatening to please give to the church. It's actually me inviting you in to the joy of God. Because part of what Jesus is saying is, is, look, if you want to enjoy this money, I've got a good idea. Open those hands and invest it in all the things that God cares about in this world. And you're going to know a new wind behind your sails. A new kind of joy is going to be possible for you when you are not shriveling under the love of money, but flourishing where money has its proper place in your life. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. God doesn't tell us to do this to earn God's approval or to get God to like us back because God wants to relationally partner with you in healing the world and in so doing, sharing in God's joy and being a part of the solution about bringing about renewal emotionally, socially, spiritually, this very city to invest in those things that God loves. And what does God love? Everything God has made. But one of those things is the local church. Really? Somebody says, have you read the headlines about the church? Are you sure you think we should invest in the church? I understand that. I don't know if I like investing in things that are messy. But the fact of the matter is, everything you give to is messy. Every organization is messy because human beings are involved. <laughs> you know this, right? But with the church, there's something different. It's something you have closer proximity to. Invest in your local church because that's where you have relationships and accountability. That's where you have people who are there to support you and walk with you in your life when life goes awry. Absolutely invest in other things that bring healing. Torelli and I sponsor children through compassion. We sponsor influencers through Patreon, especially people of color who are doing ongoing groundbreaking work. We give to a number of organizations, but all of that, I'm just telling you our practice for all these years, all of that giving is after 
we have given, and this is the way we were raised, maybe you were not, around 10% of our gross salary to this very church that I pastor. So I invite you to whatever degree you can to follow my lead in that. Our primary giving, I believe, has got to be right here. I love all these other organizations, but they're not invested in you. They're not invested in me. They don't know me. They're not asking me how I'm doing. They won't be there for me when life hits the wall. But I can tell you, my local church, City Church San Francisco, has been there for me. And I know it's been there for so many of you. And in fact, some of you, for many of you online here today, only, only I know this about you, or only you know this with another pastor, and only the two of you know that about how the church has helped you. And that's all safe and good and healthy and beautiful as well. But I can tell you, it's happening all the time. People going through the ringer and people and leaders and pastors from our church walking beside them, with them, in it. And that is what the local church will be, has been, will always be right here, at least in this particular manifestation of it. Our goal is that your investment in this church is an investment in what Jesus loves so that the presence of Jesus in this city is felt greater in greater capacities. All right, so those are my three big ideas. Number one, it all belongs to God. Number two, we're responsible to God's trustee, to be God's trustee so that we have to invest. And number three, God has plans for your money and those plans will result in you entering in to God's joy. And look, I don't know. I don't know where you want to start with this in your life. I, I know this, my, my constant admonition to everyone is start where you are. Start where you are. Fred, I can give a nickel every Sunday. Great. Start where you are. Start to, start to exercise those generosity muscles in whatever ways. Not only giving here or to the fire department or to anyone else you want, but also giving to this local church to see the flourishing of San Francisco take place. So start where you are. Start where you can. Because here's the thing, you can have a little or you can have a lot and you can still drown in money. It's not a function of a little or a lot. It's a function of you becoming savvy and wise to the role of money in your life and having some guidelines about how you'd like to begin to invest it beyond yourself. So that having been said, what we're going to do is we're going to end with a prayer. And if you look in your worship folders, at the very, very beginning, there's a quotation there from Henry Nouwen. And for those of you on the worship, on the, uh, at home, worshiping online, you'll see it pop up on the screen. But we're going to end our time right now with a prayer together. Are you ready? Together. Dear God, I am so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and to discover that I am not what I own, but what you want to give me. And what you want to give me is love, unconditional, everlasting love. Amen.